0: Welcome to Credit Hour, a weekly thought-provoking conversation with the brightest minds from the University of South Dakota. They get the credit; we ask the questions. This is Credit Hour. On today's episode of Credit Hour, we speak with Carrie Sanderson, the director of the Center for Child Male Treatment at the University of South Dakota. Carrie, how are you doing this morning? Hey,
1: great morning here in Flandrous, South Dakota. Happy to be with you today.
0: Well, we're happy to have you. We want to talk about the Center for the Prevention of Child Maltreatment, but before we get to that, just to learn a little bit about you, what is your background?
1: Yes. Well, I am an attorney by trade, and I grew up in Pierce, South Dakota. That was a a pretty fun childhood for me because I got to experience um, not only state government, but rural South Dakota, and that shaped how I was going to lead my career. So I... um, when I was done with law school, I went right into public service, working as the executive director for the South Dakota Association of County Officials, and um, got the lobbying bug and and uh, decided that that was a great way for me to give back to our community and to our state. And uh, after a short stint there, went into private practice where um, I, I had a general law practice, but uh, got quite a bit of experience working with uh, uh, people in the middle of our state who need some support and, and need some help finding services. I actually was the uh, chairperson for the mental health board for about 12 counties, and that gave me a pretty good um, idea of some of the services South Dakotans need but maybe aren't able to get due to their location or the size of their community. You know, like- From my private law.
0: Yeah. Oh, no, sorry. I was going to interrupt you there. Sorry about that. Um, I I just wanted to ask, I guess, what attracted you, I guess, to public service oriented positions?
1: I grew up in a household where it was important for um, the entire family to uh, be neighborly, to be kind to all of those around us. My mom was a, a medical provider and my dad was a teacher and um, they always told us the most important thing you can do is to be kind and to support your community. So we did a lot of civic duty type activities growing up and I just realized the strength and value of, of being kind and neighborly and how that can build up the community of people around you.
0: Now, you mentioned that you would transition to private practice, but a lot of even your your private practice work surrounded um, issues like mental health. How would you then transition to your current position um, at the center?
1: Great. There's actually a a step there in the middle. I um, had a chance to go over to the U.S. Attorney's Office, and I was a federal prosecutor working violent crimes in Indian country. It was a really interesting position for me because um, not only did I in the professional experience of, of being in the courtroom and, and the great training that comes with working in that type of environment, but I also got to see um, the impact of adverse childhood experiences on the entire lifespan of victims and defendants and entire families. And that was essential for my transition over to the work at the Center for the Prevention of Child Treatment. And the little backstory that I have uh, that's pretty straightforward is I actually um, – uh, had my first child while I was working at the attorney's office and I was on maternity leave and um, was reviewing a case while I was on maternity leave. That case was a very significant case about a kiddo who was, um, and, and trigger warning for anyone, this is going to talk a little bit about child maltreatment. Um, it was a kiddo who had been malnourished to the point of, of near death. And I sat there rocking my, my child. And I thought who was going to love that baby in the case? Like who was there to help that family? And the more I got into the case um, and I talked to the defense attorney, the more I realized that the entire family needed assistance and uh, there was a gap in services for that family. Shortly after that, I had a chance to attend a sexual assault conference um, that was actually hosted in uh, Sioux Falls by the U.S. Attorney's Office and, and Avera Health. And I heard the first presentation on adverse childhood experiences and the correlation between what happens to you in childhood and the trauma that you experience in childhood and the lifelong impact that can have not only on your, your mental health, but on your physical health. And um, after that presentation, I immediately heard a presentation by then Senator Deb Sokol, who talked about what we were going to do in our state to build the support and services for our families and our community members to, to, to strengthen um, these, these kiddos who are experiencing adversity in childhood. And making a stronger South Dakota, and that was with the creation of the Center for the Prevention of Child Maltreatment. So I was actually sitting by then, um, the, the then U.S. Attorney Randy Spiler, and I looked over at him and they said, "Boss, I'm sorry, but I think I got to go work here. Like I think I've got to, I've got to help this mission." And about ten minutes, ten months later, I became the inaugural director for the Center for the Prevention of Child Maltreatment.
0: Carrie, I know we're going to talk about um, some fairly sensitive issues that uh, might be troubling to some people. Do you have any message to any anyone in our audience who might listen to this podcast?
1: It's important to know that the information we're going to be sharing today is going to help create a healthier South Dakota, but we also need to know it may have impact on our listeners. So if you're listening to this podcast and you have some um, personal history with child sexual abuse. For child trauma, know that there are resources available for you. Please visit the 2-1-1 helpline for further guidance on how you can find support in overcoming um, some of the hard times in your life. If you need further uh, guidance, please reach out, again, to the 2-1-1 helpline just by dialing 2-1-1, or you can visit www.sdcpcm.com for further resources.
0: So just to, I guess, talk a little bit about the history of the Center for the Prevention of Child Maltreatment. What is it? How did it get started?
1: Yes. Uh, CPCM, which is short the short-term, what we call for this, the Center, because that is a big name. So CPCM was the result of Jolene's Law Task Force. From 2014 to 2016, the South Dakota Legislature Um, supported a summer study or a a legislative study to look at child sexual abuse in our state. And that was called Jolene's Law Task Force. That task force was made up of representatives from departments of health, social services, education, unified judicial system, advocacy, uh, uh, organizations across the state, law enforcement, and other health, other public health officials. That task force, um, really got into the nitty gritty of what is the, the health of our children surrounding um, um, all childhood maltreatment, but focusing first on child sexual abuse. And that task force found that there were up to uh, 4,000 children on an annual basis who were experiencing some sort of sexual violence or sexual maltreatment. And uh, at the end of that task force, uh, the Jolinslaw Task Force presented Governor Dugard with a 10-year strategic plan for how we as a state could work together to overcome the issues that uh, are surrounding our children uh, in regard to childhood maltreatment. The very first uh, item of business under that strategic plan was to create an organization or a center that would help marshal the plan through completion. And so the School of Health Sciences and the Board of Regents partnered together to present to the legislature the idea of forming the center at the University of South Dakota. In two thousand sixteen, the South Dakota State Legislature um, approved the funding for the the um creation of the center and Governor Dugard supported the ten year strategic plan and in two thousand and seventeen CPCM was embedded within the School of Health Sciences and we opened our doors in April of two thousand and seventeen.
0: You, know, you had mentioned that um Throughout this study, um, you, you found that about 4,000 uh, kids per year experience some form of, of sexual abuse. How, how does this number compare, I guess, to like other states?
1: Excellent question. And it's, it's actually a two-part question. So I'm going to talk first about data uh, surrounding child, um, childhood maltreatment, and actually child welfare in general in our state. And then we're going to talk a little bit about the, the harms that are happening in South Dakota. So the first thing is that it was actually very hard to uh, come to an understanding about what was happening to our kiddos. In South Dakota, we've got a little bit of a problem where we don't do a good job of collecting um, data surrounding childhood maltreatment. We um, we just have a data issue. And so what the task force did that was a little bit unique is that they actually did their own outreach to, uh, straight to uh, organizations and and different data collection agencies to try to find that holistic number, and uh, it was a very intensive search, and and just the fact of the way they had to go through the search was um, an indicator of how much work we have to do surrounding data in our state. What's important for us to recognize is that in South Dakota, children actually have the highest rate of victimization for multiple crimes, and these crimes include kidnapping, rape, sodomy, sexual assault with an object, simple assault. Um, and others. And what was fascinating to me is that the information that we have about the rate of victimization for kiddos doesn't include any information from our our, our partner, um, Native Nations. Uh, the nine uh, Native American tribes in the state of South Dakota collect their own information. That information isn't aggregated anywhere. It, it, it isn't, doesn't come together in a way that we can put the whole picture of, of, of the health of our kiddos together. Um, The other thing that we have is that we actually look at child protective service data quite a bit, and um, what folks don't necessarily recognize is that child protective service data, which is strong in and of itself, only includes the information if the perpetrator was a parent, guardian, or caretaker. So if you have a perpetrator who is, for example, um, an aunt or an uncle, a neighbor, a school teacher, or anyone else in the community, those numbers aren't included in CPS data, so often you might hear somebody that says, "Well, we look at our our um, child trends data or our CPS data or child protective service data, and it looks like we're doing we're doing relatively okay." But the reality is, is that just a small snippet of the harm that many of our children are facing across the state. And to date, there is not a a unit or a cohesive um, um, data collection. Uh, source where all of the information is pulled together and we can look at it holistically for what's happening for our kiddos. So the second part of that question was um, how do we compare to the states around us? Well, interestingly, the federal Bureau of Investigation actually reports that South Dakota has a higher rape rate than all the surrounding states. And this statistic is going to be hard to hear, but of the information that we have, um, we know from the uh, Division of Criminal Investigation uh, that actually almost 45% of victims of forceful rape in our state are under the age of 18. The very, very high majority of our victims of sexual violence in South Dakota are under the age of 18. And it is essential for us to recognize this because um, once we know about a, pro- a problem, um, we can help prevent it. And so uh, South Dakota does have an issue. We have an issue with child violence, and and, and we have an issue with um, victimization. We have a data issue. But now that we know about it, we can work towards fixing that issue.
0: Carrie, you mentioned that I think the number was about 45% of rape victims in South Dakota are under the age of 18. I'm curious, is that common? I mean, is is there something about children um, that make them more vulnerable to physical violence or sexual violence than maybe adults?
1: That's an excellent question. Um, the reality is that sexual violence usually occurs uh, behind closed doors and it it's usually secretive. Um, it's not something that happens out in the public and it generally doesn't leave any physical scarring. And so Children are vulnerable uh, in that they um, aren't in control of their own environment most of the time or their own surroundings. And then also we know that um, having the conversation about sexual violence and sexual abuse is hard. It's hard for many of our professionals. And so we shouldn't expect our children to take responsibility of their own health by being able to have the conversation about sexual violence without giving them the tools. And so, yes, children do have um, a vulnerability uh, it, because they are not in control um, of, of their environment. And um, also, we, we need to start changing the conversation around sexual abuse in a way that it's okay for people to tell, that there isn't a stigma associated to it. Um, we, we actually have to support our communities, our families, um, and our professions in a way that we start being able to have a conversation. It's important to remember that many of the people who have experienced sexual violence in their life actually don't tell. Um, we have some shocking numbers nationally that say that up to one in four women will be um, a victim of sexual violence prior to the age of, of 18. And um, we need to empower our community members to, to be able to tell and to talk about that. What
0: impact, I guess, does child maltreatment have on individuals that are affected by it? What impact does it have on society in general?
1: Another excellent question. I'm going to talk about something called adverse childhood experiences. Early experiences with adversity are thought to affect the future reactivity to stress that we have in our body by altering the neural circuits that control our body's natural responses. So in other words, trauma can actually change a person's brain structure, causing an increased potential for the fear and anxiety um, that fight, flight, or freeze response, um, as well as long-term physical and behavioral health problems. So child adversity and trauma um, can have a direct link to negative health outcomes and we know this because what's commonly found is that trauma can affect uh, mental health. But what some folks are surprised to learn is that uh, trauma also impacts the body. Unresolved childhood trauma impacts physical health in two main ways. First, by leading people to engage in risky behaviors as a means to cope, and by causing uh, the physiological changes to the body that actually lay the groundwork for chronic stress related diseases in adulthood. So if you look at statistics from youth identifying with issues of mental health, drugs, sex trafficking, juvenile delinquency, and even learning behaviors, you will find an underlying current of exposure to adverse childhood experiences. So what are adverse childhood experiences? Well, in the 1990s, the CDC and Kaiser Permanente actually led a large-scale study um, of over 17,000 participants to look at three main categories of adversity in childhood. They took a look at um, abuse, which is emotional, physical, or sexual abuse. They took a look at household challenges. Was the mother treated uh, violently? Was there substance abuse or mental illness in the home? Was there a separation or divorce of parents? And was there an incarcerated household member? And then finally, they looked at at neglect, emotional and physical um, neglect. And you took these uh, uh, three types of adversity and broke them down into ten different um, um, pools of, of harm. Um, we actually look at um, people in their adulthood when they reflect back and they look at their their childhood. The higher number of instances of any one of these adversities would lead to a higher um, a higher impact on negative health outcomes in adulthood. So stated another way. The higher your ACE score, the more likely you were to have negative health outcomes in adulthood. So what does this actually look like? Well, if you have an A score of four or more, you're actually 12 times more likely to have attempted suicide. You're seven times more likely to consider yourself an alcoholic. And you're five times more likely to use illicit drugs. And this one is fascinating to me um, as somebody who is now working and built uh, in, in a field where we're designed to help build workforces and create stronger unity amongst professionals. If you have an A score of four or more, you're five times more likely to report missing 14 or more days of work a week, a month, due to mental illness. We know that in South Dakota, more than 80% of our juvenile justice-involved youth, meaning those youth who are with in the juvenile justice system, more than 80% of them report experiencing trauma in childhood. Additionally, the average age of a victim entering into sex trafficking or the sex trade is 12 years old, and up to 80% of those victims report being sexually abused as a child prior to entering into human sex trafficking. So when we talk about what is the correlation between adversity in childhood And what's happening as an adult, there is a direct correlation that the more adversity you face as the childhood, and when you don't build resilience to that adversity, you have a higher likelihood of having negative health outcomes um, throughout your lifespan. And this is the most essential one. People with an ACE score of six or more died nearly 20 years earlier than those without any ACEs. So what does this actually look like in South Dakota? Well, we know that in South Dakota, um, a little over 20% of our children are born into a situation where they have an ACE score of two or more. So that means without any life happening to them, 20% of our kiddos have an ACE score of two. The South Dakota Department of Health actually added um, adverse health experience information or, or ACE questions to their behavioral um, the purpose, the Behavioral <laughs> Risk Factor Survey, um, and in that survey, we found that um, a strong majority of, of South Dakotans faced at least one ACE or um, average childhood experience throughout their life, and we have nine percent of our population, which is eighty thousand people, that have that ACE score over five. So um, it's, it's essential that we, as a state, start working about at adverse childhood experiences and understanding their correlation with negative health outcomes. Because when we start building resiliency in our kiddos and our adults, we'll be able to prevent some of those negative health outcomes
0: that we just talked about. Carrie, what are some of the projects that the center is working on right now?
1: CPCM has, um, this awesome opportunity to try to lead the state through the strategic plan. That strategic plan was comprehensive and included six major goals and 48 objectives. The goal focused around data, um, public health, mandatory reporting, uh, influencing the justice system, providing better public awareness, and building infrastructure for knowing about responding to and preventing child maltreatment. Some of our big projects include the creation of the sexual assault nurse examiner program, uh, which is helping train uh, sexual assault nurses and, and medical professionals and how to respond to um, instances of sexual violence in a victim-centered uh, way. We're also looking at expanding the information um, or the knowledge about average childhood experiences across the state. Our ACEs and Resiliency Program was implemented in 2018, and um, with our, our partnership with Children's Home Society, we've actually trained over 15,000 South Dakotans on the um, impact importance of knowing about adverse childhood experiences. We're looking at mandatory reporting. So when we, we do that, we're saying, are our mandatory reporters actually trained in a way where they know how to report um, instances of child maltreatment, and then what's the response system going to look like? And instead of saying mandatory reporter, we should actually be saying permissive reporting. Um, we're, we're trying to spread the word that, do you know anybody in the state of South Dakota can report um, um if they feel that a child's being harmed. And then we are working with Child Protective Services and law enforcement to say, what's the best response in our community if there is an allegation of a kiddo being harmed? We're gonna take a look at the justice system, um, both on the criminal side and on the civil side. Are there ways that we can um, work better to create safety for our kiddos within the court system? Also, are we educating our attorneys and our judges, our probation officers, and our law enforcement officers on the impact of adversity in childhood? This can help better explain why defendants act the way they act, why victims act the way they act, and also, how can we better protect both the defendant and the victims and the witnesses as they go through the court process having to tell this, uh, about their, their trauma over and over again? So we're really looking at the justice system that way. Something cool that's happening in this particular um, goal set is a team called the REACH team. The REACH team, R-E-A-C-H, is um, up in, in Watertown, South Dakota. And that team is actually, uh, it's a multidisciplinary team that is focused on responding to instances of child harm and child vi- violence. The that team offices at the Sanford clinic there in um, Watertown and they come together at least once a week and they meet with a law enforcement officer, a prosecutor, a child protective service worker, a mental health provider, a a medical provider, and a forensic interviewer. And if there is an allegation of harm, the child and their family can come to that clinic and they only tell their story once. And the entire response team meets together and creates, a, a plan for that kiddo? Of what's going to happen next? What services do they need? How can they help that kiddo um, work their way through the system that is healthy for the child and for the family? What makes the REACH team unique is that it's the first time in our state that, uh, that um, the multidisciplinary team has come together uh, uh, purposely to meet at one location, and then they represent 13 surrounding counties. So it's actually a regional team. So the idea is any child that has experienced harm um, has the opportunity to go to this one location where their responding on um, team, the responding officials will work together to create the plan for safety. Um, I do need to say we have several uh, multidisciplinary teams across the state doing excellent, excellent work. Uh, we hope to re- replicate the REACH team's on um, use of a regionalized model, as well as um, all the professionals coming together at the same time, at the same location, um, with the family. Um, We we hope to replicate that across the state. And with the support of Governor Nome, we actually have the state's first Um, multidisciplinary team coordinator, which will be based out of the Division of Criminal Investigation and Peer, will have that person who will help us move this regionalized model across the state. So very cool things happening um, in in that goal set. The next thing I'd like to talk about um, uh, is the public awareness piece. Earlier in the podcast, uh, we had the conversation about how it's hard to talk about sexual violence. It's hard to talk about when bad things happen in our life. So how are we better empowering our professionals and our community members to have the hard conversation? Well, we have a program called the Enough Abuse Campaign. And the Enough Abuse Campaign is an education campaign that helps um, us uh, know better to, about how our resources and, and, and to know better how we can um, help end sexual violence by intervening in, in kind and compassionate but intentional ways. And so the Enough Abuse Campaign is a um, five-part education campaign that can um, come to youth service organizations, into your schools, Um, it can um, come into your community, it can come into your organization and help teach a little bit more about um, um, age-appropriate sexual behaviors, about intervention uh, that can happen if you notice another adult that maybe is acting in a way that isn't healthy um, between the, the kiddos. And then also talking about how you can intervene with their, when there's child-on-child child, um, sexual violence that is occurring. So that's a really neat program, that Enough Abuse um, campaign. And I should say both the Enough Abuse campaign and the Aces and Resiliency trainings are free to the state of South Dakota. Um, we've received so much support from the Departments of Health, Department of Education, and the uh, Department of Social Services to bring these training programs into our state. And so we're super excited about those. We also have some education campaigns. Um, going on to our our professionals. So every year, we, the center, uh, CPCM, joins with the Unified Judicial System and Child Forces Who Falls to put on the Community Response to Child Abuse Conference. This conference um, is uh, interdisciplinary in nature where we educate teachers and social workers, medical providers, and law enforcement officers on um, up-and-coming ways to respond to uh, harm in childhood. Now, this conference uh, has been held in um, Sioux Falls for the last several years. We did host it uh, virtually this year. Um, we do have scholarships available every year for law enforcement officers, teachers, and we also offer continuing education credits. And so, we encourage you to take a look at um, that training. Multiple uh, uh, recorded sessions are available on the CPCM website for continuing education in that way as well. And then um, finally in this area, I'd I'd just like to chat about uh, the Child and Adult Advocacy Studies program that is um, uh, being launched here at the University of South Dakota. So in 2019, we had a speaker by the name of Victor Beats come to the University of South Dakota and talk to representatives from each of the Board of Regent schools to talk about um, how we as a state can work better to um, build multidisciplinary uh, response to instances of violence um, and harm against kiddos, but also to empower our, uh, our reporters to report any instances of violence that they may sus- suspect. In that meeting, we had two very cool professors from the University of South Dakota, Dr. Kelly Bass, who is the... Um, Director of the Master of Social Work Program, and then Dr. Shauna Cerny, who is with the Occupational Therapy Program at USC. Uh, those two professors came together and said, we can bring education to our, um, our students here at, at USC and also to the professionals out in the field in advocacy and, and response to instances of harm. And in June of 2020, the South Dakota Board of Regents um, approved the implementation of the Child and Adult FC Studies Certificate Program at USD. That's a 12-credit certificate program designed for any professional, any student, to come through and learn how to work together as a team to respond to um, trauma. From that program, we also implemented, and this is so cool, um, when we knew that COVID-19 hit and, and we were having more and more children facing struggles, whether it's at home or um, in their community, just because life was different. We knew that we had to get this information out to our professionals and do it quickly. So with the support of the Department of Education and the Project AWARE grant, we were able to create the Child and Adult Ability Studies training program, which is a five-hour training program, takes the tenets of the larger certificate program and gives the, um, the learner the skills uh, we, we start teaching and introducing those skills needed to respond to adversity and trauma in childhood. And we launched our first um, training series in August of 2020, and we had over 200 educators sign up for that, that course. And we are happy to say that Project Aware will um, continue to support that uh, that CAS training, and we'll be offering again throughout the spring to um, many of our Project Aware schools around the state of South Dakota. So lots of cool things happening um, in how we can address uh, harm to our kiddos. So I let me talk to you, to you, sorry, I'm so sorry <laughs> so much, but I have one more very, very cool project.
0: Oh, go ahead, sorry. Can, do
1: you mind? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Probably the coolest thing that we're doing. Um, as a group of professionals, as a group of caring community members, we recognize that we must start building um, strength in our community as a whole, in our communities across the state, to implement these six CDC strategies and to integrate the, the work that's happening through the, the 10-year um, strategic plan for CPCM into our communities. And how do we do that? Well, we started the Resilient Communities South Dakota program. The Resilient Community South Dakota program is a technical assistance program from CPCM to a community that says, hey, are you working in a community coalition where you're bringing together change agents and leaders from your community in a way that we can um, start implementing implement some of this uh, programming? And so uh, the Resilient Communities Package asked uh, a coalition to take a look and say, does your emergency room have a sexual assault nurse examiner or someone who's trained to implement um, sexual assault kits? Um, are your law enforcement officers trained in victim-centered um, uh, responses, and, and have they set up a response team to know about uh, responding to instances of child sexual abuse and child uh, harm? We take a look at, again, your um, your judges and your um, attorneys. Are they trained in how um, the impact of, of, of trauma on um, how defendants and victims and witnesses are going to act and interact? Take a look at your school teachers. Do so they have enough support um, to build trauma-informed classrooms and to um, uh, know how to, to report um, any instances of abuse and neglect? We take a look at our youth-serving organizations and our faith-based organizations and, and just do that internal look as well. And so this technical assistance pat- passage just challenges a community to um, look at how they can uh, begin utilizing all their resources in a cohesive path package. And then if they identify a gap in services, how can we creatively overcome that gap in services? Knowing that the issues of rurality and potentially low funding in all of our communities is going to be there. So we're going to work together as a team to be creative of providing services to our rural communities across the state. This um, Resilient Communities Technical Assistance Package can come alongside any other coalition that's already happening um, in your community. And it's just a way to take one deeper look into our professionals and our community members saying, do you have the support and, and the skills and the training necessary to respond in ways where we're going to build resiliency for children and families and thus creating a stronger series of community um, across the state? You know,
0: Carrie, one thing that we discussed a little bit earlier and in, in, in context of some of the work that you're doing, um, just as far as you know, educating reporters and stuff like that, uh, what effect, if any, has you know COVID nineteen had on child maltreatment in South Dakota? Do you do we know yet?
1: Great question. So when we start talking about trauma and we listed those adverse childhood experiences, we just listed a series of ten, but there are multiple forms of of trauma. And what's fascinating is the more that we know about the neurobiology of of our brain, is that our trauma responses, regardless of what the trauma are trauma responses might be the same. And so you may have um, an acute trauma, which is a single um, traumatic event limited in time, um, but that impacts a a child or a person in a way that they aren't able to cope with that trauma. You might have um, a complex trauma, which is that um, repetitive trauma over and over again, for example, like a child abuse, or you might have something like a natural disaster trauma. The natural disaster trauma is an earthquake, earthquake tornado, hurricane, um, COVID-19, um, where a person, uh, it, it, their trauma responses are heightened and you don't know how to move through to the next um, moment. It's where um, the experience overwhelms the ability to cope. And so what is so important is that as we look at COVID-19, we know that it's going to have impacts um, on society as a whole, but also on our children. And it can also compound some of the adversity that child may be feeling. And you say, how is this happening Um, if a kiddo isn't physically getting sick? Well, it's because they may be interacting with in a household where now there's a food insecurity or um, parents are stressed where they might not have been stressed before. That kid might be being left home alone when school's out and the parents have to work, and they might not quite be at the age where they're able to be left at home alone. And then, of course, um, there's stress related to um, not knowing what the impact of the disease is going to be or if they're going to go back to school and see their friends. And um, so we do, to date, we do not have any specific data that's available to the public about the impact of COVID-19 on our kids in South Dakota. But let me tell you that nationally, we are finding that children are having a higher stress uh, response to COVID-19 than um, any other uh, age demographic. And so when we look, um, we are seeing some reports that are saying um, emergency rooms are seeing an uptick in kiddos that are Um, experiencing suicidal ideation or attempting suicide or having mental health crises. We're also seeing um, an uptick in calls to uh, a crisis response line. And um, we just need to be aware that our children are going to face trauma um, because of COVID-19 in a way that um, is considered a natural disaster trauma and we have to be prepared to help our kiddos respond. And again, how do you do that? You create safe, loving, and stable relationships. You create environments where the kiddo can move through their trauma response in a way where they feel safe. And um we can we can start working on that as as a community just by being aware of the issue and then um continuing to give our grace to our kiddos. I'd like to talk about a very cool program that a two on one helpline has. It's called Text for Hope. So Text for Hope is um, a way that uh, teenagers can text in that they're having issues, and they'll be put in touch with a, a professional on the other end who can help identify resources for that um, that child, for that, for that uh, teenager. And this is something that we should um, be promoting left and right as a way for um, our, our students who are at home or maybe in environments that don't feel safe where they can text in and say, I need help with food. I don't feel safe at home. Mom and, mom and dad or whoever the caretaker is are, are creating an unsafe environment for me um, or I'm having mental health issues. And um, I'd love to get the word out about Text for Hope um, because one of the best things that we can do is let those kiddos know that we're, we're there for them and we're going to help create a, a more stable environment to help them move through this type of, of harm.
0: You know, Carrie, obviously the just the magnitude of some of these issues are are disheartening and um, difficult to talk about. Like we we said, yeah. You know, just shift gears, I guess, for a second. I mean, as just like a general member member of the public, I mean, what can I guess regular South Dakotans do to be more aware of this issue and ultimately help, you know, combat and end child maltreatment? Excellent question.
1: First. Learn about adverse childhood experiences and their impact once you know about it and you're, um, you have the education and, and um, you're able to have better responses. So uh, adverse childhood experience or ACEs and resiliency training is free. You can get it online. Um, it's available through Children's Home Society and you can find the information on the uh, CPCM website. That's the very first thing is um, start understanding the issue. I would suggest this training for um, any Boy Scout, Girl Scout club, um, any uh, faith-based organization, any teacher. If you work with people, you could benefit from getting this training. Um, That's the first thing. The second thing is um, we start changing our frame of mind from – oh, that person's acting weird, Um, what's wrong with them, to, wow, something is happening, what happened to them? And when we start asking that question of what happened to them, that allows us to be kind and neighborly in a way that uh, uh, we we maybe haven't seen for a while. And so when you start seeing somebody who's experiencing potentially very clear trauma responses, a fight, flight, or freeze response, where, for example, somebody... um, freaking out because they don't don't want to put on a, a mask in a store or somebody who's just like screaming and in, in lying at the cashier's checkout um, or, or somebody who's just totally broken down at some place. Um, instead of, of stopping and staring and taking a picture, we start thinking what happened to them and how can I be kind and neighborly to them in a way that helps them move through this trauma um, um, response that that that's happening. And the more we can do that as a community, the more that we have our, our law enforcement officers and the medical providers and our teachers um, and our, our, our leaders who understand um, the impact of, of being neighborly and kind to each other, that that safe, stable and loving environment will help a, a person move through and build resiliency, move through that trauma response and build resiliency you as an everyday citizen will be making a difference in your community. Those are two things that you can do um, right away. The third thing is as a community member, take a look at the resilient community's technical package and say, Hey, what can my community do better um, to be stronger? If you are, for example, um, somebody in the medical profession, start asking um, around, Hey, what, what is our Um, and what are our community's resources when I have a family that's obviously exhibiting some sort of of traumatic experience, do I have my um, policies and procedures set in place that I can um, hook them up with the best resources our community has? And then um, if there are gaps in services, start working creatively to overcome the gaps in services.
0: You know, Carrie, to shift gears, I guess, one last time, um, normally the last question we like to ask is a little bit philosophical in nature. I'm, I'm curious just with your experience and the subject matter that you work with, um, if that will inform sort of your answer to this question. But, um, you know, obviously you're a, you're a trained attorney, um, you work with public service, and um, your mission is incredibly important to South Dakota and I think everyone. Um, at this point in your life, what do you know for sure
1: What a powerful question. I know that when you can be kind to another human, you can change their life. It's important thing to remember.
0: Um, no, I, I, I agree with that sentiment, and I agree with that statement, and I agree that I think it, it's something that might seem easy to do, but it, it's, it always makes a bigger in, impact than I think than you individually might realize in another person's life, so... Um, Thank you so much for the conversation today and just the work that you're doing here in South Dakota. Obviously, it's so incredibly important and we wish you luck as you um, continue to lead the center here at USD.
1: Thank you.